study. I'm David Nutter, and it's my privilege to share this morning from the Word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for today. We thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for your mighty Word that has the power to save, transform, and heal. We thank you for your mighty Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come this morning and touch our hearts and lead us and guide us into all the truth. Open our minds and hearts to understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, I want to share from a passage from Romans and uh, from the book of Genesis, very familiar passages. As I began the year this year, I felt the Holy Spirit was leading me to go back to the basics, to go back to Genesis and Exodus and the foundations of our faith. And uh, so that's what I did. So we're going to begin our study this morning with uh, Romans chapter 9 and uh, at verses 6 through 16 with a passage that perhaps you've read in the past and it disturbed you a little bit, um, talking about God's choosing of people for salvation. But I hope this morning you'll see that it's actually a passage of great encouragement uh, to the faithful and uh, even to the lost. It should be a passage of great encouragement. God has a plan for each person. He desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Praise the Lord. Romans 9, 6 through 16. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, The older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be, or in the King James, God forbid. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Praise the Lord. Let's turn back for a moment to Genesis, uh, Genesis 25. And what we find here is promise, the promise to Jacob. We are all children of promise. In the New Covenant, God has a promise for every single person. Whoever believes in Him shall not be disappointed. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. That's Romans 10. And so the question is, are we going to step in to the promise of God as a child of promise that He's prepared for all who will believe? Praise the Lord. Isaac was a child of promise. God had a plan for his life. Jacob was a child of promise. Abraham, their father, was a child of promise. And so are we. We are Abraham's heirs according to promise if we will step into the promise by faith. Praise God. That is the foundation of our faith. Praise the Lord. Genesis 25, beginning at 19. Here's the promise for Jacob. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. O oh Lord, it, we, the promises of God come to us and then immediately it seems like they're not happening. And Isaac was a man of faith, so he prayed to the Lord about the promise. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Praise God. Verse 23, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. That's God's promise. There were two nations uh, in her womb, and it became so. Both men, Isaac and Esau, were blessed of the Lord. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Uh-oh, that's out of order. That's not how people expect things, certainly in Old Testament times, but even in this day and time, really. But that was God's promise, because this was about God's glory, not man's. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to him. I'm about to turn 60. The idea of having a child at 60, two children... Is, is a daunting thought. Uh, you start Your energy starts to wane. But that's God's plan for Isaac and the promise of these two children. Praise God. They, they were chosen of God. They were called of God. And God had a preordained purpose for them to walk in. <clears throat> but the revelation must come. And we must respond to the revelation of God in each of our lives. He's calling all of us. And so, if we move forward in Genesis uh, 25 and 27, what we discover, we're not going to read those chapters. This is a scripture that's very familiar to most of you. Uh, and if you've not uh, read it before, I encourage you to read the whole passage of Jacob's life. But um, in Genesis 25, we see Jacob taking matters into his own hand and seeking the uh, blessing, the birthright for himself. And so he, he doesn't exactly deceive his brother, but he catches him in a weak moment and uh, gets him to give his blessing as the older son to him. And Esau, at that point in his life, being an ir- irreverent man, uh, not respecting the things of God like the blessing of the older child, gives it away for a meal. 
This is done all the time in life. People give away the blessings of God for trifling things. We maybe have all done that in our lives. Uh, I wasn't saved till I was 33. Praise God that He's long-suffering. He's patient with us. He doesn't want any of us to perish. He all He wants us all to fulfill our calling. And so, uh, in chapter 27, it gets worse. We see Mom gets involved. Uh, she preferred Jacob. Dad preferred Esau. As a obvious parenting tip, we all want to avoid that, um, picking favorite children. They're all God's favorites, and so they should all be our favorites too. Uh, praise the Lord and seek the Lord on that if you're struggling with it, and God will bless you. But here, uh, Mom, Rebecca, and a son, Jacob, connive and conspire to steal... Um, the blessing from dad. And by this point, uh, Isaac is old and firm, uh, blind, and uh, they pull off a, a deception uh, and get dad to give the blessing to the younger child, even though that's not his intention. Now, God could have worked this out a different way. Uh, God is able to do that. Nothing's impossible with God. But our flesh tries to accomplish God's promises and they call in our life by our own energy. We all do some of that. That never works, and it always produces a mess, and it's uh, some of the things we all have to unravel in our lives, and Jacob had to. He was uh, cast into exile. He had to run away because his brother wanted to kill him, and he lived for uh, a long time uh, out away, and I'm not sure he ever saw his mother again um, from the Scripture. Uh, I think not, perhaps. And um, But God revealed uh, in the beginning of his wanderings that he did have a call on his life. So if you go to, Jake, uh, to Genesis 27 and verse 10, um, it says this, Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He's running away from his brother to his mother's people. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there, because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head, and lay it down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Praise the name of the Lord. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Praise the Lord. Verse 18. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel, meaning uh, the house of God. 
However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, I and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. The tithing principle is built into the very fabric of what God does. And it's uh, one of the first rungs of the ladder of faith is learning to trust God as your provider. So as we learn to give the tenth of our first fruits into God's kingdom ministry, his work, uh, he begins to bless. But it will be, he'll bring a crisis of faith. It always does when you first begin to obey God and throughout your life as we walk with Him, He it, it's faith that pleases Him. We can't please Him without faith. And He's always building faith. And so we should see every trial, every challenge as a faith-building exercise to bring God glory. Because that's why we're here, actually. Uh, seek the revelation of God. We're all here to bring Him glory. And as I grow in that, a peace settles on my heart that... Uh, who can be against me if God be for me? Praise God. Praise God for that. And so uh, we see the revelation of God. You may be listening to say this and say, I wish God would reveal himself to me like that. I haven't had something like that. If that's your heart, you're in a good place. That tells me God's moving on your heart. Just ask him, God, I, I want your personal revelation to me like you did to Jacob. You may not have the same dream he had. He had a particular call for Jacob. But I believe, I know, if you will say, Lord, I want to know you. I want your revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. I want to know your call in my life. If you seek with him, seek for him, you will find him. If you seek for the Lord with all your heart, you will find him. Praise God. And so Jacob went to the land and he got too wise by the trickery of his father-in-law the measure we give is the measure we get. So the deception he uh, put on his dad and his brother came back on him in full force. And he ended up with uh, two wives and two maids and a bunch of kids. <laughs> uh, a bunch of children, uh, 12 sons, and, um, and uh, became the 12 tribes of Israel and a daughter. And in the course of time, he was ready to get out from under his conniving father-in-law. And so... Uh, in the course of many years, a couple of decades, he decided to return back to the land of promise that had been promised to Abraham and to Isaac. And he was drawn to it. And you remember his vow. He said, if you'll bring me back safely, uh, I will serve you. That had been the revelation of God to him and his promise back to God. Well, God's going to test that in all of our lives. Amen. And so that test comes in Genesis 32. It's the crisis of faith. I remember Pastor Henry Blackaby in his materials, Experiencing God, said, uh, faith always uh, leads to a crisis. As we uh, start to endeavor to obey God, a crisis of faith comes when his promise has to be true because the circumstances do not look like it's coming to pass. That always happens. That sequence is repeated in the Bible over and over and again. And it's repeated in our lives over and over again. So Genesis 32 at verse 1. Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. 
Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Jacob has been tremendously blessed of the Lord, and he's going to return to his brother, and he uh, has sent messengers. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Uh-oh, that's a crisis of faith. That looked like an army in those days, and it looked like brother hadn't gotten over it yet. And Jacob doesn't have an army. He has wives and children, some of whom are grown, but it, this is a problem. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks, then the company which is left will escape. So he's using some human wisdom there to try to deal with the crisis. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. That was God's promise. I am unworthy of all the mercy, the loving kindness, of all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will surely come attack me and the mothers and the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Here's the model of faith and prayer and the prayer of faith. We stand on God's promises, come what may. Faith is an act. We believe what he said. We act on it, even though the circumstances are frightening, even though everything before us looks contrary to the promise. And then we pray, asking, praying the promise back, reminding the Lord of his promises, thanking him for his graciousness, his faithfulness, his truth, and asking him to bless uh, uh, our walking in our best effort to obey and please the Lord, that his blessing would rest upon it, and that his promise in our life would be fulfilled. So he prayed in faith, praise God. So he spent the night there, verse 13. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams. A man's gift goes before him, makes a way for him, the proverb says. 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. This is quite a bit, quite a gift. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servant, Excuse me, pass on before me and put a space between droves. And he commanded the one in front, saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? And to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It's a present sent to my lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third and all those who followed the drove, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the pre- present passed on before him while he spent the night that night in the camp. 
Now he rose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He only had eleven kids then. Benjamin was born uh, later. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. And then the great wrestling happens. This again is a normal part of the foundation principle of faith. We haven't gone very far with God till we had to wrestle with God over His calling and promises in our life and our fleshly fear, worry, anxiety, rebellion. All those things are in the heart of all of us, of mankind, and God is pressing us to get that out so that we be conformed into the image of His Son. And so when we're afraid, King David says, when I'm afraid, I will seek you. Uh, and when I seek you, I won't be afraid. Praise God for that. Praise God. The mystery is great. So then Jacob, verse 24, was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Uh, my own belief on that is it could be an angel, but I think it was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. God wrestles with us. And, uh, and uh, we're not the same when we're touched by God and we wrestle with God. He's transforming this. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him. He touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated. And while he wrestled with him, then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's the way to pray. Lord, I will not let you go. I'm clinging to the hem of your garment till you bless me. Till you bless me. He's in the position of faith. He's obeyed. And now he's just clinging to the Lord. I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. That's the woman with the issue of blood. For she, she thought, she said, if I may just touch his clothes, the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. And straightway, Mark chapter 5, the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she knew in her person that she'd been healed of that plague. A woman with the issue of blood, 12 years. It's exactly the same as what Jacob did here. It is the pattern of faith in our lives. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, and he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you've striven with God. You've wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. That's the meaning of Israel, wrestling with God and man. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Uh, God is the great I am. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Uh, Psalm 27 says, uh, uh, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. That's what the Lord wants for us, to seek His face, to seek His presence. That's, the, that's where the blessing is. I've seen, the, my, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him, just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew, of the hip. Praise God. And then in Genesis 33, we won't read it, but the manifold blessing of God comes as his brother has also been blessed and has become a mighty company just as God had promised. And he doesn't really need or want Jacob's stuff. And he's in a place of forgiveness in his heart. And he welcomes his brother there. I have a friend who is a wonderful man of God and a father, happily married guy, very blessed. He walks with a pretty severe limp, however, and that happened because before he was saved, uh, as many of us in my own life, he was out uh, on a drunken thing with friends, 
and um, they had a wreck, and he was thrown from the vehicle he was in. Uh, they were going really, really fast as a projectile, and his head slammed into the wall of a house, and uh, he was completely paralyzed. And the people of God began praying for him, and in the miracle of God, he was restored. This man can walk. He lives a full life. He's completely healed, except that one leg, he walks with a limp. And he uh, had seasoned that, the blessing of Jacob, the remembrance of God's deliverance, and the wrestling with God. It reminds him of his humanity. And uh, there's a pattern to the way God deals with each of us. He leaves a mark on us when he calls us. And as we go forward in faith, uh, we may walk with a limp, as it were, physically or uh, in some other manner. We've been touched with God. We've been transformed. But God leaves a reminder that He is the Sovereign Lord who calls us. Uh, we, we haven't saved ourselves. We've been bought with a price. And it's the Lord Christ who saves. It's the Lord Christ who delivers. It's the Lord that Jacob wrestled with. Let me just look real quick at my notes. Um, I want to close uh, with a devotional um, message. Uh, a friend of mine shared with me uh, this devotional, The One-Year Christian History by Michael and Sharon Rustin. And I got it the other day. It's tremendously blessed me. They just take each date, a story from Christian history, and share it and have a reflection. It's a wonderful little booklet. I won't read the whole thing, but for March 7th the other day, the event they used was from March 7, 203. And this young lady, Vibia Perpetua, was a 22-year-old living in Carthage, a mother of one child. She had just become a Christian. And in A.D. 202, the Roman Emperor Septimius Severus had issued an edict forbidding conversion to Christianity, forbidding baptism. The devil's always doing this in cycles. Uh, coming against Christ and his kingdom. Uh, this young lady uh, was called of Christ. She was a wealthy woman. Her father, uh, uh, you know, begged her not to get baptized. And uh, she kept a journal, which historians have found, and this is what she said to her father. While she was still under arrest, uh, uh, my father, out of love for me, was trying to persuade me and shake my resolution. Father, I said, do you see this vase here, for example, or water pot, or whatever? Yes, I do, said he. And I told him, could it be called by any other name than what it is? And he said, no. Well, so too, I cannot be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. This is a brand new believer, folks. But this is the call of God in her life. So she was baptized. They were put into prison through the flesh of man, through her brother's influence. They got her out of the dungeon in a better situation, but still in prison. And she was called before the judge to renounce her faith and offer sacrifices to the Roman gods. Her father again begged her to do it. And uh, she refused. She and her friends refused. And she records, we were condemned to the beast. And we returned to the prison in high spirits. But her brother, uh, before doing that, had tried uh, to uh, get her to seek the Lord. And her brother advised, Dear sister, you are greatly privileged. Surely you might ask 
for a vision to discover what you are to be, whether you are to be condemned or freed. And she did. And then they went before the judge and they were condemned to the beast and returned to prison. And on March 7, 203, they were brought into the amphitheater and the animal set upon her and her friends and uh, they were killed. And during her last moments, Perpetua encouraged her brother and the others, you must all stand fast in the faith and love one another. And do not be weakened by what we have gone through. Later, uh, in her diary, she recorded the vision that she had prayed for, that her brother had encouraged her to seek. The vision Perpetua requested and received of God while still in prison prepared her and the others for their deaths. She reported, I saw a ladder of tremendous height reaching all the way to the heavens, but it was so narrow that only one person could climb up it at a time. Then I saw an immense garden, and in it a gray-haired man sat in shepherd's garb. And standing around him were many thousands of people clad in white garments. He raised his head, looked at me, and said, I am glad you have come, my child. Praise God. She had fulfilled her calling and God's plan for her life. Ask God. For a vision in a dream. He may show you a ladder like Jacob, like this young lady. He, he, he said to Nathaniel, you'll see greater things than these. You'll see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Praise God forevermore and amen. Amen. See you.